Well, good morning, Soma Church. This is Brandon Shields. Welcome to the teaching portion of our gathering this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's in the New Testament. Turn over to the right a little bit there towards the end of your Bible and you'll find it. Uh, Hear these words from the Apostle Paul. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, We've been in a series, if you're new, for the last several months, actually, on uh, the Holy Spirit. We're calling Come Holy Spirit, and we're looking at the person and the work of the Spirit, um, what one scholar, Gordon Fee, calls God's empowering presence. And this week, we've come to um, and continued in this section on uh, what some people have called the spiritual gifts, and we're talking about the gift of prophecy. Now, imagine out uh, there, I can't see you, but I uh, suspect that there are probably at least three camps or three tribes when it comes to your experiences with prophecy. For some of you, um, you're enthusiastic about this topic because you grew up in a church context where prophecy was normal. You saw prophecy happen, you experienced it in a really healthy way, and maybe you're here at Soma just going, finally, we're finally getting to talk about and maybe live into a little bit more intentionally the gift of prophecy. And uh, that's, that's some of you, but maybe, maybe you grew up in a church where you didn't get the theological foundation or you need to expand kind of your biblical understanding of prophecy, and so we're going to talk about it in depth today. For others of you, again, maybe you grew up in an environment where you're a little bit more cynical towards uh, the gift of prophecy, you've never experienced it, or if you did, let's be honest, prophecy can get weird. And if you start talking about this in Christian circles, you have, you, it's not, it won't be long before you hear a story about something super weird or awkward that happened uh, in a church, maybe where you grew up. And, and so you're kind of like, okay, now, is Soma going to start being the place where like, we do prophecy updates and we have like prophecy hours and traveling prophecy teachers with charts. I mean, it can get weird. So maybe you're a little cynical and skeptical when it comes to uh, the gift of prophecy. For others of you, you're just like, man, I'm new to this conversation. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in maybe a round church. I'm maybe not even a Christian. And you're just totally confused when it comes to the gift of prophecy. And the good news is that Paul says the gift of prophecy actually can be something that the Spirit uses to draw you deeper into a relationship with God that actually can convert you. It can, it can draw you near in your relationship with God. And so I hope that this will be encouraging. And just as a review on the context here in 1 Corinthians 14, we had this urban young church in a, a metropolitan area very similar to, to Indianapolis. And, and really the context here Paul is addressing, if you remember this from two weeks ago, is a church that was, many of these are new Christians, and they were abusing the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the gifts of tongues and prophecy, and the more miraculous or what we might call the revelatory gifts of the Spirit. And the point I want to make here is that the abuse of a gift is not a good argument for the disuse of a gift. 
The abuse of the gift actually should invite us, Paul says, not to be skeptical, not to be cynical, not to put it on the shelf or like we often do in church, put it in a, in a, you know, in a china hutch or in a museum somewhere to collect dust. Rather, the improper use or abuse of, an, a gift, of a gift makes an argument for the proper use of the gift. And that's what we want to do here is talk about the proper use of prophecy. And if you remember, this section here is all about um, the spirituals. This word, these two words that Paul uses to describe what some call the spiritual gifts is pneumaticos, and that word just means the spirituals or the stuff that the Spirit does. So again, these are not like Enneagram numbers or Marvel comic superpowers that you possess or own. This is what the Spirit does in the life of the community. This should be the normative thing that we expect to happen when the Spirit is released and unleashed in a community. Um, and then the second word he uses is this word charismata. These are literally uh, grace gifts. These are gifts uh, that the Spirit gives us to be used in the body of Christ. So just as a reminder, uh, a simple definition for spiritual gifts. They're diverse expressions of God's presence and his power given freely by the Holy Spirit to empower and build up Christ's body for the sake of the world. Everyone has gifts. Everyone has, if you're a Christian, the presence and power of the Spirit living in you. Not everybody has all of them, um, but, but we're, we should be open to all of them and open to the ways the Spirit wants to use us. So regardless of your experience in the past or the teaching you've received or not received on the spiritual gifts, um, I think something that we can all agree on, and here's a question that I would just pose to you to see, like, do you actually believe this, is simply this, do you believe that God still speaks today? Like, regardless of what you think about prophecy, do you believe that God speaks in the Bible, and do you believe that God still speaks today? Because even if you're a bit skeptical of some of the practices or the applications of prophecy, I think all Christians can agree on the fact that God speaks to his people and God speaks through his people. And oftentimes what I've found with prophecy is sometimes uh, these debates that we have about the validity of prophecy for today are really about semantics, like just uh, the language that we use and, and, and kind of how we pursue this, not about the reality of God speaking. And so let me just remind you about kind of the, the story of how God speaks to his people in the Bible. We've covered this before in bits and pieces, but I want to put this into kind of a narrative of how God speaks in uh, the story of Scripture. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, which I know it feels like we go back there every week because it's super foundational for all of the rest of Scripture. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, we see from the, from the earliest record of the Bible that God is a speaking God. Eleven times in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and he creates with his spoken word. He speaks and his word brings life, his word brings structure, and his word brings flourishing. He speaks and the universe is literally set in motion. Day is separated from the night. The heavens are separated from the earth. His word divides and then, and then builds. Um, and then ultimately, his word creates uh, mankind, male and female, created in his image. God speaks blessing over them. His words bring blessing um, to us. And so this is, this is, from the beginning, part of who God is. It's integral to his character. He is there, and he is not silent. He speaks to his people, and through his people. As the narrative advances throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see God raising up a, a group of people known as prophets. And Moses was kind of the, the greatest, the first and the greatest kind of a template of these prophets. Um, prophets were men uh, predominantly that heard directly from God. They received direct revelation from God, 
And they, they were expected to be kind of the mouthpieces of God. They would speak for God on behalf of God to the people. So if priests received uh, words from the people to God, prophets spoke words from God to the people. And they would say something like, if you grew up in church, the King James Version of this, like, thus saith the Lord, you know, hear ye, hear ye, like that kind of thing. Um, and if those prophets were wrong, they were actually considered false prophets, and they were to be stoned and put to death. And so this kind of prophet, the office of the prophet that we see was temporary, and it was limited to a few for very specific and special purposes. But there's this longing for the gift of prophecy to be distributed more broadly. And we see this in Moses, a really um, interesting little story in Numbers chapter 11, where uh, the first elders are being appointed after the people of God have been delivered from slavery. And when God um, appoints these 70 elders, they're gathered around the tent, the tabernacle, God places his spirit on them, and then this crazy thing happens. For the first time in the Bible, we see the gift of prophecy go viral. All 70 of these men begin to prophesy uh, out in uh, the tent, and it's crazy. And two of the men uh, who were appointed as elders but were not there, they're actually back at their homes, they begin to prophesy later, and then what happens is Joshua gets upset, and he's like, hey, Moses, these guys are like prophesying like, you know, kind of out of order here. You should stop them. And Moses' response here, you see on the screen in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, he says this, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people be prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Fascinating. If you fast forward then on to Joel chapter 2, we've read this passage before in this series, um, there's coming a day the prophets would go on to say these other prophets, Joel and Jeremiah and Micah and others, there's coming a day when God will answer Moses' prayer. He will answer Moses' longing. Notice Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It will come to pass, he's talking here about the, the spirit age, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so what we see here is this promise that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, there will be an increase in prophecy. And that prophecy is going to be for, for all people, right? Every nation and ethnic group, all people. Every age category, young and old. Uh, both sexes, genders, men and women, regardless of their socioeconomic status or class. He talks here about even the servants will prophesy. So we see the Holy Spirit promising that when prophecy comes, it will be distributed in, it, in such a way that it tears down racism, it tears down ageism, it tears down sexism and classism, and it's given as an equal opportunity and power of God's people. And you go on to read about this in the, the Spirit Age, in the life of Jesus, as we talked about the very first week. We see all of this prophecy break out around the time of Jesus' birth, right? In the story of Elizabeth, in Luke chapter 1, and Zechariah, and Simeon, and even Jesus himself prophesied throughout his ministry, and then he breathes his spirit, remember Acts chapter 2, into his people, kicking off and launching the church in the age of the Spirit. And once again, what's the first thing that we see when the Spirit falls on the church in Acts chapter 2? The tongues of fire drop, the 120 are gathered into a room. We see that it's characterized by, and actually quoting Joel chapter 2, increased prophecy and permanent prophecy. Now we see what one author calls the prophethood of all believers, kind of launched out into the fabric of the church. You go on to read the rest of the book of Acts, you see Peter prophecy. 
prophesy. You see Agabus prophesy. You see the church at Antioch prophesy. You see Paul prophesy, Agabus, and others. Uh, Interesting little side note here about the book of Acts. 27 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts are references to and descriptions of God speaking revelatory words through through the apostles, through the evangelists, and through just unnamed, ordinary men and women. I mean, this is incredible. Everywhere you look in the Bible, you begin to see this all over the place. So why would these people who experienced such a powerful movement of prophecy in their life, these apostles, then write the rest of the Bible talking about prophecy if it was going to end one day? Like this, this is just the normal expectation of the life of the people of God. So here's what I want to just kind of say about that. I want you to see all the different ways that God speaks. Does God speak? Yes, he is a speaking God. And he speaks to us in all kinds of different ways through the Holy Spirit. And I have a list here on the screen that I don't have time to go through, but I just want you to see the different variety of ways that God speaks. Obviously, he speaks through the scriptures, right? Like he speaks first and foremost through his his word, which was then codified into the scriptures. This is the litmus test for all other speech, right? Like scriptures are very important in terms of how we understand God's speak. They tell us about God's character and his nature, tell us about Jesus. They teach us about God's heart and his ways in the world. But there's all kinds of other ways. Some people want to stop there and say, that's it. He only speaks through scripture. But that's actually not what scripture says about God. He also speaks through internal promptings. He speaks through dreams while we're sleeping, visions and images and pictures while we're awake. He speaks through everyday life experiences and nature and art and angels, and sometimes embodied sensations or through other people. It's just so fascinating to note the diversity and the intensity of God's speech throughout the narrative of the Bible. He speaks to and through both his people and unbelievers. He speaks through pagans. He speaks to the righteous and through the righteous and the wicked, through the elite and very ordinary people in the halls of power and the kitchen tables of the powerless inside the church and outside the church, through humans, and get this, even through animals. God's spirit is crazy. He speaks all over the place. He speaks dramatically, uh, and he speaks quietly. And so if you're a person that maybe this is new for you, I just want to encourage you to think about and to consider and to read through these scriptures. And and here's one other thing for consideration if you're a little bit skeptical about God speaking um, and us uh, listening through these various means. Um, let's think about this this week. We believe and we talk about in the church oftentimes how Satan can speak and influence our thoughts and our emotions and our imagination. Say, watch out for the enemy who speaks lies into your mind, who speaks lies into your heart, makes you feel shame and condemnation. He, he speaks and accuses you with memories and all kinds of things. So here's the question. If Satan can do that and Satan can permeate and penetrate your mind and speak to you in all kinds of ways, Why can't God? Why can't God speak to us? Why should we not expect God to do the same in an even more powerful and profound way? So the question for us, I think, as believers in this moment is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? Are we listening for the voice of God? Are we training ourselves to hear the voice of God? That is what prophecy is all about, hearing the voice of God and learning to speak that voice to others for their benefit. So let me just quickly um, shift gears here, and I want to talk about what prophecy is, and I want to talk about how it functions and be very specific with how it functions 
in the life of the church. I'm not going to answer every question. We're not going to get into all the details, but I'm going to give you some broad kind of uh, tracks to run on and some practical understanding of this. And then I want to encourage us to press in, as Paul does, to this gift. So what is prophecy? Some definitions from some people that I respect. Wayne Grudem, a New Testament scholar, says this, a prophecy is speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. Sam Storms, a pastor, says, a prophecy is a human report of a divine revelation. One of my favorite definitions comes from a guy named Greg Haslam in his book, which is an excellent book to read, called Moving in the Prophetic. He says this, prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access the Holy Spirit has to our minds, whereby he can create pictures in our imagination and supernatural dreams while we are asleep. He can put words, ideas, or scriptures into our heads with such force that we know there is something weighty and unforgettable going on, something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and to relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated to us. So prophecy involves God speaking, us hearing the voice of God, and then us speaking what we hear to other people. It's a spontaneous revelation, a supernatural revelation of things that we could not have otherwise known about with our own intelligence, with our own senses, or our own um, you know, study of the scriptures. Uh, let me just say also while I'm here um, what prophecy is not, because prophecy often gets lumped in and confused with other things. So let me just give you a couple of what prophecy is not things. Prophecy is not personal conviction or illumination or reassurance. Like when you get an encouragement from the scriptures and God deepens, it's like you're in a dark room and God flips on the light and just deepens your understanding of a particular scripture or doctrine or uh, experience that you've had with the Lord and you feel really encouraged, okay? That's not the same thing as prophecy. Prophecy is also not preaching and teaching, right? Preaching and teaching is the explanation and the interpretation and application of written texts of scripture, oftentimes involving deep study and reflection and logical analysis. Um, Prophecy is not that. Prophecy is spontaneous revelation, right? Now, sometimes preaching, and I've had this experience before, can be prophetic. Like God brings something to mind, and you look out into the crowd, and God just speaks something to you as the teacher that you then share with the audience in a way that is encouraging and strengthening to the church. So sometimes preaching can be prophetic, Uh, but not all prophecy is preaching and teaching. And you see this, for instance, where um, Paul will say in one breath, we should eagerly desire prophecy, but James um, warns us not many should desire to be teachers. So there's a difference between the gifts of prophecy and the gift of teaching, and we collapse those oftentimes. Third thing, prophecy is not equivalent to Scripture or the Old Testament prophetic office. When we say that prophecy is a supernatural revelation or we're inspired, it's a looser and less authoritative inspiration than when we talk about the Old Testament prophetic office or scripture. So scripture comes with the weight of, thus saith the Lord, if you don't obey this, then you must die. There's like a seriousness and intensity to that. Um, But when it comes to uh, prophecy, what we see in the New Testament uh, Paul will say all prophecy must be tested. It's fallible, right? The revelation is not fallible. It's infallible. It comes from God, but our interpretation and application of that is fallible. Paul says just a chapter before, we actually, we know in part and we prophecy in part. So there's, there's an incompleteness and an infallibility to prophecy that we have to be, we have to have a sense of prophetic humility in how we share prophetic words with others. 
The last thing is that uh, prophecy is not fortune-telling, okay? Very little prophecy that we see in the New Testament is about predicting the future. It almost never happens, right? Uh, Mostly, it's about actually preparing us for a future. It's preparing us for something God wants to do in our lives, but it rarely is like, you know, pick up the book of Revelation, pick up your newspaper, and try to interpret something the president is doing or something that's happening in some foreign country as like, you know, prophetic uh, end times revelation that needs to be obeyed. It's mostly just about preparing ourselves emotionally and spiritually for what God is about to do in our lives. Now, with all of that as kind of a setup, let me just give us a couple of um, kind of uh, instructions from 1 Corinthians 14 and the rest of the New Testament on how prophecy works. So let me just summarize broad teaching here on prophecy. First thing that we see uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that prophecy always must be motivated by love. Notice what Paul says, pursue love or pursue the way of love. He says, if I prophesy in chapter 13 without love, love, I'm like a clanging cymbal or a gong, right? Like if I have insights into these great mysteries, Paul says, but it's not motivated by love. See, what oftentimes can happen is that prophecy gets mixed in with our own ambitions, our own, um, you know, uh, biases and assumptions that we have about other people, especially when we're walking in close community, we can confuse our own thoughts and feelings or desires for people with prophecy. But Paul says prophecy should be about loving others and wanting them to experience deeper intimacy with God by his spirit. Not about controlling somebody, not about manipulating somebody, embarrassing someone. It's always to be rooted in a heart of prophetic love. The second thing that Paul says is that we should eagerly desire prophecy. We feel like we just keep saying this every week over and over and over again. We should eagerly desire this sense of jealous, be jealous for, long for, be zealous for the gift of prophecy. Paul says, earnestly desire the spirituals or the things the Spirit does, especially that you may prophesy. Prophecy is available to everyone. Unlike in the Old Testament where it was available to just an elite few for special purposes, Paul says everyone should expect and should be open to and should eagerly pursue the gift of prophesy. It is not for a special group of Delta Force Christians. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5, actually, don't quench the spirit by treating prophecies with contempt, by despising them, but rather uh, be open to the spirit, right? Be drenched in the spirit by receiving prophecies as a very normal, ordinary experience in the church. Now, some of us operate in kind of a greater sense of intensity uh, and, and power in this gift of prophecy. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, um, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, the Holy Spirit chooses as he will to pour out this gift in different measures, in different proportions with different people, and there's different levels of maturity in how we exercise this gift. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And so prophecy in its potency is tied to our measure of faith given by the Spirit and then tested and refined over the course of a lifetime. And so for some, we're skittish and we don't have a lot of faith and it's something that we can, we can grow in. But nonetheless, we should all eagerly desire prophecy. The third thing that we see about the gift of prophecy is that the purpose of it is for strengthening and encouragement and for comfort. Notice what Paul says, the gift of prophecy should build up 
the church. It should be given for consolation and encouragement and for strengthening, right? The gift of prophecy should never bring about in your life or someone you're prophesying over shame or condemnation or manipulation or anger, right? Like sometimes it will bring conviction, which doesn't always feel like encouragement, right? Like, but, but conviction is different than condemnation. Conviction in the short term feels terrible, right? Like if somebody brings a word to you and it convicts you, maybe they disclose, as Paul says here later, the secrets of your heart in ways that you weren't uh, prepared for. It can feel hard, right? But, but the proverb says, an enemy multiplies kisses, but the wounds of a friend can be trusted and they ultimately bring about life. And so what I'm saying here is the kind of prophecy that is angry, that is raging, or the prophecy of a person who's seeking to kind of rebuke and condemn and shame you and make you feel less than. Like, we all need encouragement. Like, I don't know about you, but right now in this moment, where so much is just going crazy in the world, I need encouragement. I need to be consoled. I need to be comforted and to be built up. And that's exactly what the Spirit wants to do with the gift of prophecy. The fourth thing that we see here with the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 is that prophecy should always be under the control of the prophet, of the teacher, the one who's bringing it. Um, it should never be something that is just like this fire. You know, sometimes people come, with the, they feel like a prophetic word, and they're like, God told me this, and I've got to say it, and if I don't, I'm going to be disobeying the Lord, and they just blurt out something crazy. That's not what, at all what Paul says. If you go on to read the rest of the chapter, he says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It should never be, I have to say this or I'm being disobedient. Paul said there should be an order to how we share, that there should be a a sense of self-control with how we exercise this gift because our gift reflects the character and the nature of the God who gives the gift. And he's a God of order, a God of peace, not one of chaos. He says no more than two or three should go in the gathering. And if somebody else has a revelation while you're uh, sharing your own revelation, that person should defer to their brother or sister and actually sit down and allow that other person to share in accordance with Scripture. And so prophecy is always under the control of the prophets. Uh, fifth thing is that um, there are three basic movements of prophecy. How does prophecy actually work? There's three components to biblical prophecy. The first is revelation, right? Paul says here, uh, verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one, again, there's that invitation for participation from everyone. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He goes on and says, when someone speaks and another gets a revelation, prophecy starts with revelation. It is the disclosure of the mind of God and the heart of God. This is the content of the message that God wants to reveal. It could be a word, could be a scripture, could be a picture. Then there's the interpretation, like there's the, the message, and then it's, what does this actually mean, and who is this message for, and when should I share this message? Is it right now? Is it a week from now? Is it a month from now? Is this something to sit on? Uh, the third thing, then, is the application. Once we know what the message is, what it, what it means, then what do we do about it? If it's truly a word from the Lord, then we must obey it. So those are the three basic components of prophecy And then um, a couple other things we see throughout the rest of the New Testament. Um, Prophetic contexts range from public to private. Sometimes it's done in the gathering, like here in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes it's done in private. Sometimes it's corporate. Sometimes it's given to specific individuals. Um, I think a good place to start, like here in 1 Corinthians, this is the gathering of believers. And the context in Corinth would have likely been a smaller expression of community than what we have, like here at Soma, with a couple hundred people. 
Uh, New Testament house churches ranged in size from like 20 or 30 people to no more than 150. And so this would be like the equivalent of a missional community or something like that. And so that could be a good place for us to start exercising the gift of prophecy is not just throwing a microphone in the midst of hundreds or thousands of people and just trying it out, but maybe in our smaller communities, a discipleship group or a missional community, we begin to experiment with these prophetic giftings. Uh, Prophecy also shouldn't replace the need for prayer and wisdom and community and common sense in our daily decision making. I've got some verses listed for you there. Um, So we don't want to become dependent on prophetic words or paralyzed in our ability to make decisions because we're waiting on a word. Uh, But prophecy sometimes can be helpful in reassuring us and pointing us towards what God has for us. And then the last thing, and I think probably most importantly, that prophecy should always glorify Jesus, right? It goes without saying, but Revelation 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy should always lift up Jesus, should always draw us closer to Jesus. If it's not about Jesus and it becomes about a platform or a persona or a personality um, or a ministry or a gifting, then we know we're getting off track with the gift of prophecy. I'm going to throw a passage up on the screen here, and we don't have time to get into this. It's a really fascinating case study. If you want to learn more about how the gift of prophecy worked in uh, the New Testament church, there's a really beautiful example of this in the book of Acts in chapter 21, verses 8 through 14, with Agabus, who was a known prophet, and the apostle Paul. So you can look at this uh, screen and look at this text, and you can read this in your own Bible. But I just wanted to point out a couple of things. It's just a case study here for how this could work uh, in the life of a church and some of the pertinent things that we see in the story. Um, it's interesting to me here, um, and it should be something that we take note of, that women uh, are prophesying here in the New Testament. They can prophesy. They should be prophesying. This, this man has four daughters who are prophets. Um, so that's just something interesting to note that we should take heart from, that, that God intends for this gift to be poured out on men and women. Uh, prophecy is always done out of love, not a desire to control. There's weeping, and there's a deep love here that's shared. Um, notice also that prophecy is taken very seriously by Paul. He listens to it. He weighs it. He tests it. But get this. It can be resisted. It can be wrong, actually, right? So this revelation in this case from Agabus, the same guy who predicted a famine correctly earlier in the book of Acts, here has a vision of Paul being beaten in Jerusalem as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He interprets that correctly as Paul is going to suffer when he gets to Jerusalem, but the application, not from Agabus, but from the disciples of this prophecy, is that it's not God's will for Paul to go. And notice Paul's response. He says, thank you, but the Spirit's already told me I'm going to Jerusalem. So again, we see this mixture in prophecy of divine infallibility and human fallibility. Revelation is infallible if it comes from God, but the interpretation and application are fallible. And this shouldn't freak us out, right? This shouldn't be a reason for us to abandon prophecy in the same way that the gift of teaching is also fallible, right? Like God's word is inspired, it's inerrant, it's truthful, it's powerful, it's authoritative, But our interpretation and application of that we know can get sideways, and we know that all of us are on a journey to do that more accurately as we grow in maturity and and being full of the Spirit. It's the same thing here. There has to be a humility and understanding that this is wrong, but notice, like, being wrong doesn't make uh, these people false prophets. Like, the false prophets in the Bible are non-Christians who deny the fact that Jesus is God. Uh, These disciples are not disciplined. They're not rebuked. They're not disqualified for ministry. They're not called dangerous or threat or weird to the church. Paul just says, hey, man, I appreciate that, but the Spirit's already been speaking to me, and so I think you've got this application wrong, and he goes on with his ministry. It doesn't paralyze the church. It just got it wrong, and so um, I think it's important for us to see this work itself out in real scenarios to realize this is how it probably happens 
in our time as well. Now, just so you know uh, where I'm at with prophecy, um, just personally, I am very new to all of this. Like in the last several years, again, I grew up in an environment where prophecy was not really a part of our language. And so I very much confess I'm uh, a neophyte at this. I'm learning and I'm growing in, in my appreciation and my eagerness to see God speak to me and through me to hear his voice and to communicate that to other believers. But I, I'm just at this place where I'm, I'm eagerly desiring, like Paul says, to hear God speak more um, because I hear so many stories, like from friends in ministry, especially around the world in places where they're more open, our brothers and sisters are more open to the supernatural and to, to hearing God's voice than we are in kind of a post-enlightenment Western context. I hear stories, uh, and I've experienced this in my own life, like part of my conversion story that I wish I could tell right now involves uh, a bit of prophetic revelation in my own life, um, and, and, and I forgot about that until like a couple of years ago. Um, I uh, went to Africa, and oftentimes I lived in Africa for a summer, and I experienced this firsthand when I saw a man come to Christ through dreams and revelation, visions that God had given him, and then we became the fulfillment of the vision and dreams that he had gotten a few weeks before, and he was one of the first converts in a, in a very hostile context to come to Jesus in years. And so, like, you hear these stories, and you begin to realize this is what God's doing around the world, and we need to be open to that. And, and I want our church to be open to that. I want you to be open to that. I want to be open to hearing from God and communicating what God is saying in a way that builds us up and strengthens us. Let me just say this as we begin to close on how we actually do this. How do you actually deliver a prophetic word, test a prophetic word, and grow in your gift of uh, prophecy as God leads? So how do we deliver a prophetic word? A couple of things. If God lays something on your heart simultaneous, uh, spontaneously and it's something you feel like he's speaking to you about, I want to encourage you a couple things. One, be curious. Just ask God, God, is this you? Like, are you speaking to me? Is this something that you're doing? God, who is this for and what is this about? Just be curious. Ask God for clarification of the who and the what and the when. Create space. Like, listening prayer has been a, a practice throughout church history where people sit before the Spirit and they say, Spirit, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you show us things about ourselves, about this community, about those that we love? Would you speak to us about what's happening in our community in a way that we can understand? Give us words, give us visions, give us dreams. Speak through nature, but God, would you speak? So we, we must create space for this in the rhythms of our community life and our families and with our roommates. Um, the third thing I'd say there is just be super humble, right? Be super humble and tread gently and lightly, right? Never say, God told me this, and you're supposed to do X, Y, in Z, but rather a more humble approach might be to say, hey, I've got this strong impression, or I feel like I've got this picture, this sense in my mind from the Spirit that God is saying this to me. Does this resonate with you, right? Does this mean anything to you? And you just offer it up, and you allow them to test it, to sift it. I, I want to especially caution you to avoid calling people out by name in a group setting. Like, if you have a problem or a beef with somebody or need to talk to them, you can pull them aside, pull the elders aside and speak to us. Be very careful with sensitive subjects like people having babies. A lot of people struggling with infertility in our church, and this can be a really horrible way to um, experience a lot of disappointment and hurt and wounding. Um, be careful about like prophesying somebody's going to get married, a single person. You know, like God told me you're going to marry this person. That actually happened to a friend of mine on a mission trip in Africa on that same trip. Uh, don't establish tertiary doctrines or practices. Don't confuse your gift with your identity. Like, just be humble with the way that you deliver these words. How do we test a prophetic gift, a uh, prophetic word? First uh, Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, Paul says, 
hold fast to what's good. Don't quench the spirit. Test every prophecy. Don't despise it. Hold fast to what's good. Reject what's evil. Three questions that you can use as you're evaluating a prophecy. Does it align with scripture? It will never contradict scripture if it's coming from the heart of God. Um, Secondly, does it strengthen, encourage, and comfort? And thirdly, does it confirm or correct what God is already doing in your life? Last thing I'll say here is the last question is how do we actually grow in this gift? And I believe there's at least three things that we can do to grow in the gift of uh, moving in the prophetic gift. One is just pursue intimacy with God, right? Get to know God's heart. Pray, read the scriptures, immerse yourself in a life with God and you will find yourself as you come to know God, just like in any relationship, as you come to know your wife better, you are able to speak in ways that are consistent with her heart or his heart and desires, just like with your children, just like with your friends. You develop these Christian instincts. The more intimate you are with God, the more God tends to speak through you and to you. The second thing is seek to mature in this gift and seek out those who are more mature in the prophetic giftings, those who operate regularly with maturity in the revelatory gifts. Seek them out. Ask them questions. Read uh, in church history about those who walked in these gifts and read their biographies and, and learn about how they exercise these gifts in healthy ways. And the third thing is just community. Seek out community. Find safe places and safe people where you can process and have feedback and, and offer up insights and receive encouragement or challenges. Get to know your community. Prophetic gifts can be used very much outside of the church. And so we look around our community and we get to know our community and we say, God, what are you doing in our community? What time is it right now? What's good that needs to be affirmed and called out in our community? What's broken that needs to be confronted? What's missing that needs to be created? I'll just close with this little word. Um, As much as I appreciate our contemporary emphasis on teaching. Man, we have podcasts and sermons and books, and there's such a desire in the modern church for teaching. I'm going to go ahead and argue that, and just remind us, that's only one-fifth of the gifting and ministry that God has given to build up the church in Ephesians chapter 4. He's given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds. Only one of those is teachers, and we revere them in our kind of time But Paul says we should eagerly desire. If you want to see the church strengthened, we want to see the church comforted, we want to see the church built up and moving out in mission, I believe we need to see God fan into flame the gift of prophecy. We need to hear the voice of our Father. We need to speak the voice of our Father in timely ways and particular situations and relationships in ways that strengthen and build us up and assure us that God loves us and he is with us and he is for us. And so I just want to encourage you right now where you're at, if you would just... Lift up your hands, and I want to pray over us that God would increase the gift of prophecy and the experience of that in our church. Father, we come to you right now, and we pray that you would raise up uh, and, and, sh- and, and just multiply the gift of prophecy, our experience of the prophetic gifting in our church. God, we want to hear from you. We believe that you speak. And in the words of Samuel, God, we, we ask you, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. God, help us to hear your voice in all the ways that you want to speak to us. And then give us the courage and the boldness to speak those words of life to those you placed around us. And in doing so, God, would you strengthen and build up the church in love and lead us out to mission in really powerful ways. So that, as Paul says here, the hearts of unbelievers, as uh, secrets are disclosed, God, that men and women from across our city will be drawn into a deeper uh, relationship with you. We pray these things. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen.